Hi guys, this is Ben from Back for FPL and welcome to the Game Week 9 podcast. In this episode, I'll be running through how my team got on in Game Week 8, discuss some of the hot topics of the week, such as you know whether to keep Salah, which players should be firmly on our radar, and which chips, if any, uh, to use this week. I'm also going to be breaking down my transfer plans ahead of tomorrow, because I'm certainly going to be making a transfer tonight, I think. Um, so... I'll let you know what those moves are later on in the podcast. Uh, just to quickly cast our minds back to game week eight, despite it feeling an age ago in what's probably one of the slowest international breaks I can remember for a long time. Um, a lot of FPL managers, including me, got lucky with a late Kane goal, who returned as a very popular captain option. Mo Salah managed what De Bruyne couldn't in Liverpool versus City and scored a penalty. And Aston Villa romped it against Arsenal, winning 3-0 with a certain Ollie Watkins, who I do own, but benched, bagging a brace. So um, that was obviously rather frustrating, but in the long run, I'm, I'm still you know really pleased to own him. Um, despite that, though, I had another solid game week, saw my overall rank rise to 34,000, and I bagged an extra 80 points um, to my total score. So obviously, I'm really pleased with that rank. You know, moving into the second international break on that kind of rank is great because now I can push on uh, and start making kind of sensible decisions. I don't feel like I'm going to take any outside punts or anything, so I'm in. I'm obviously in a really good position. Um, had I played Watkins from the outset, I'd obviously have got over 90 points this week. But you know, I can't complain too much. It is just an important lesson learned. Um, from now on, I'm not going to bench a mid mid price striker. I don't think, no matter who they're playing. Um, I thought last week that you know playing. One of my defenders, 4.5 million defenders, was was better. And they did get six points. I think I was always going to play Robertson just because of you know what he can do on an afternoon. But um, I think the upside is greater with any kind of mid-priced striker, with the likes of Watkins, Bamford, Antonio, etc., compared to a 4.5 million defender. So um, moving into my team and starting with the blanks, um, I had just two in game week eight, which is obviously fantastic. Robertson only got me two points and Son only got me three um, now, one of those is set for the chopping block this week, and uh, believe it or not, it's not actually the Liverpool defender, despite the amount of injuries they've got. Um, it could obviously be famous last words, but I feel like, aside from Chilwell, who I already own, there aren't a significant number of better defenders, in my opinion, for this particular week. Obviously, City look great, but they're playing Spurs, and I do have other fighters in my team, so... Um, Liverpool, in my opinion, they haven't become a bad team overnight. There is still potential for attacking returns uh, if Liverpool focus their play down the left-hand side with Mane in you know in the absence of Mo Salah. So I still feel Robertson can turn it around, but you know I'm firmly thinking about getting rid of him in the next few weeks. So therefore, it's likely to be Son who's going to make way for me this week. Um, not because of his blank last week, I'm not that fickle, but I don't want to head into these awful Spurs fixtures with two of their attackers. I think that's the main thing. You know, were, were I just owning Son, I don't think it would be a problem. But having Son and Kane, um, I just don't. I think their goals will dry up somewhat. They're still going to score. Don't get me wrong, but they're probably not going to produce the same amount of goals that they have been doing over their good fixtures. So. I think there are much better options in the coming week in midfield. That's partly why I've kept Kane for now, um, but obviously more on that later. Uh, in terms of the rest of my team, Martinez returned with a handy clean sheet, got me six points. Chilwell got uh, me eight points, scoring a tap-in, which was obviously mental for a left-back. And both Lamptey and Masuaki got me six points for keeping clean sheets against Burnley and Fulham. Obviously, Masuaki getting rather lucky there with Lookman taking a 90-plus minute Panaka penalty, um, so probably the international break 
came at a good time for him because he's got two weeks out of the limelight to kind of take that all in um, and, and kind of react to it because that was probably one of the worst penalties I've ever seen in my life. Uh, in terms of my midfield, Salah got me nine points. Grealish was unlucky, I thought, only to get six, but obviously looks excellent for the long term. And my somewhat punty transfer last week from Pulisic to Ziyech actually paid off. Um, you know, the the Algerian got me 11 points with two assists and three bonus points. So that was obviously fantastic. Quickly on that, though, and I just thought I'd say this because I guess even though I own him, my positivity surrounding ZH isn't quite as um, as as kind of as much as everyone, everybody else. I'm delighted to be owning ZH um, and I'm obviously really happy that he's risen in price and that everyone's looking to get him in and that kind of thing. But with average fixtures over Christmas, I need to see him turn into more of a goal threat, I think, in the next few weeks for me to keep him at that price. Uh, obviously, he still can. And if he keeps on bringing in two assists every single week, then that's fantastic. But I think he could be the kind of the player that we've seen before, the kind of assist to the assister. He's picking up positions quite far away from the box. Uh, he doesn't necessarily look to be getting in the box and scoring goals. So um, I possibly might consider upgrading him to a City player with their superior fixtures in the next few weeks. But uh, it's just something interesting to me because obviously I haven't heard many reservations around about ZH. So um, I just thought I'd kind of give that as a, as a balanced argument. And finally in attack, my captain Harry Kane got me 18 points and Calvert-Lewin got probably one of the luckiest assists I've ever seen in FPL. I'm not complaining, but you know to me there was he was nowhere near the ball um for the, for that kind of knockdown that, that that was given to him as an assist so i am slightly sympathetic not complaining again but i am slightly slightly sympathetic to anyone who doesn't own calvert lewin yet or is still without him because um we just keep on raking in the points and um and in some ways they're kind of quite lucky points i think um and that was my team for last week um you know there is still someone who did better than me though and they deserve a shout out as i put on the um on the back for uh, fpl twitter and instagram pages yesterday um james semple scored an impressive 81 points so beat me by one in the back for fpl mini league this week in terms of his game week score and he triple captained harry kane um so well done james obviously you must be delighted when that goal crept in late on um against west brom so moving into game week nine, and there are obviously loads of talking points this week, um, which is mainly why I've waited till Friday actually to record this episode. Uh, luckily, we've been blessed with the maximum time with the deadline tomorrow. Um, and, you know, just like the first international break, this, re this reinforces um, the argument for keeping all your transfers and not making early moves. I got burned with it earlier in the season and I've learned my lesson and, you know, I've kept my two transfers ready for for you know, knowing all the maximum information. So I only missed out on probably about 0.2 million, um, which obviously isn't at the end of the world at this stage. So I'm really happy that I've learned my lesson moving moving forward. Um, so the hot topic for this week and is, is definitely Mo Salah having tested per, uh, positive for coronavirus. Um, Klopp said in his, um, in his press conference today, very little actually. And unfortunately, I don't have all the answers, but I'm certainly going to try and run through what my opinions are on the matter, and that might help you kind of come to a decision on your own. So, although it's not confirmed for definite, he's bound to miss the Leicester game, uh, even if he tests negative tomorrow. Um, otherwise, I think the world will go into meltdown because, you know, we can safely assume he's out for this week, right? 
Um, I, you know, if he does turn around and play, there'll be loads of questions asked because you know people will still think he's got it because he literally tested positive a few few days ago. So the the likelihood is that he'll probably miss this game week, and I think he'll miss the Champions League game against um, Atlanta. Uh, that's extremely unlikely. I think that he'll feature in that because even if he turns around a negative test, I don't think he's going to have enough time to train um, for Klopp to risk him. So right now, I'm 50-50 as to whether he actually plays against Brighton next week. Uh, and really, the way you've got to look at it is it's a risk either way. You know, you're either gambling on him being back or gambling on him missing out. So on the one hand, he is now back in Liverpool, which is great. He and El Elneny returned on a private jet, I believe, earlier today. And to the best of my knowledge, he's allowed to get tested every day from Monday. So if he returns negative, there may be an unwritten rule within the protocol of the Premier League that allows him to play against Brighton if he produces a negative test in that in that week. There's obviously still a chance that he needs to self-isolate even longer. The league might tell him he needs to do that. There's also a possibility that he actually turns back, you know, he gets a positive test later on as well. Um, so... For me, if he's out of the Brighton game, I feel you might as well sell him until the Fulham game in game week 12 because Wolves in game week 11 is not ideal anyway and I certainly wouldn't be thinking of captaining him then so I think you can just about get away with it. So with all the information there, this is what I'm thinking. I will want Salah back for the game week 12 for definite and there are plenty of premium midfield options between now and then in my opinion. So most importantly, I don't have a particularly good captaincy option this week. And that's why I've decided that I'm going to get rid of him. But I appreciate it's very, very different for all teams. Now, bear in mind that I had two transfers, so my situation is a little different. I deliberately kept that transfer back because I kind of anticipated a lot of issues during this international break. So if you have other fires in your team, then you may decide not to. I think there is an argument to keep him. But having 12 plus million on your bench for one or you know one game week or let alone two game weeks could seriously damage your score in the long run so you have to think about that carefully i personally think if you already have a manchester united asset or maybe you have a kind of timo Werner or someone like that um, to captain this week against west brom i'd be tempted personally to hold and to keep him uh, and just see what happens provided you have a decent option on the bench that is that can kind of come in for salah as a, a regular player most of the flags that were kind of earlier on this week, they've cleared up now. So the likes of Chilwell, Robertson, they're, they're back. Mitchell even, not that I own him, but Hodgson said today that he should should be returning for Crystal Palace. So it'll be interesting to see if he starts. But he's another player that you, that you could bring in because um, he could definitely get a clean sheet against Burnley. That's that's not the sort of thing that, that's, that's completely out of the way. For me, though, I'm pretty happy to focus one of my transfers here because obviously I've got two. But I do know that now my decisions over the next few game weeks will be centred around getting him back in because there's definitely um, I'm definitely not going to have him out for a long, long period of time. Um, so that does mean I'm going to have to take a hit down the line probably to get him back in unless I'm really, really careful about my transfers and I kind of bank one. What you've got to think if you're taking him out with a hit right now and you're going to take him, get him back in with a hit, is taking Salah out worth minus eight points to you? That's something that I've been weighing up in my mind when I've kind of considered other people's teams and stuff like that. That is something that you do need to think about because once you start sort of thinking about minus eight, is that really worth the, 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 the kind of the, the loss of points there? So something to think about for definite. 
So just quickly, I wanted to touch upon this before I moved into my watch list and transfer plans and, and, and talk about chips. I definitely, definitely would not be using my free hit chip this week. I know I've seen some people talk about it on Twitter and various um, other sites like that, but there will be double game weeks and blank game weeks to manoeuvre through um, later on in the season. And for me, the free hit chip is ideal for this time. You know, I think most of the red flags anyway have cleared up for this week. But, you know, even if you've got three or four of your players, like 75% likely to play, I just feel the strongest team that you can and hold back from playing it. Trust me, last season the free hit chip was really useful. And not even was the free hit chip useful, but having that in your pocket to possibly use later on meant that you weren't kind of you didn't you didn't make stupid decisions later down the line um so i would definitely make sure that you um you keep your free hit chip wild cards are more interesting one if you have your wild card still and you feel like using it i'm not going to tell you not to because i don't know your entire team personally i would be tempted at this stage to keep my wild card i know i use my wild card back in game week five and that proved really really um, beneficial to me and is a large part of why i'm sitting on thirty four thousand at the moment but there is a double game week in game week 18, I believe, or somewhere around then. And we should, by that point, know exactly what um, what fixtures there are um, by game week 18. And even though game week 18 is in January, you can still use your game week, well, your wild card for this side of Christmas in either game week 16 or 17 to prepare you for that eventuality. So it's something to think about now. Um, as we're kind of nearing closer and closer to that date. Um, the other thing to counter that argument, and something I'm pretty happy about, is um, Ben Krellin. If you don't follow him on Twitter, I definitely recommend you do. He's an absolute machine at kind of churning out information way in advance on doubles and double game weeks and blank game weeks. But what he said is that there's a potential possibility that we know about those fixtures in like the next two weeks and if that is the case and if we do know those fixtures in the next two weeks that means we've got kind of seven weeks to long-term plan that double game week or those blank game weeks and double game weeks so what that means is it possibly makes the wild card less useful i mean obviously it's always going to be super super useful but it might mean that other people around you can still gain the benefits from that double game week by preparing further and further in advance which would mean, for me, wait just this week. Try not to use your wild card this week. Um, see whether we get to hear about that kind of um, that double game week in game week eighteen in the next week or so. And if not, then and your team really needs that surgery, perhaps use game week ten as the time to wild card because that way you can get off the likes of Kane and Son who've got rubbish fixtures. Get a triple city as they've got amazing fixtures over christmas you might consider getting Mane in uh, just on a wild card so you can switch him to to salah when salah returns or even get salah back in if he's um you know if he's playing against brighton you can move on to leicester i think leicester have got some really well, i know leicester have got some really nice fixtures i've been looking at them from an attacking standpoint but you might want to get the likes of fafana in or, or perhaps justin if you want uh, you know to get him in um, whilst, whilst Pereira's out because they've got some nice fixtures defensively as well so that's definitely something to consider about the wild card for me definitely don't free hit and if you fancy a wild card do it but I would just try and hold off that a little bit longer
So a quick watch list update now, and here are the players that I'm looking at over the next few weeks. Obviously, this isn't my entire watch list. It will take me a long time to go through that, but here are some of the specific players that I feel I'm going to be looking at quite closely over the next few weeks. So first up, I've got João Cancelo and Ruben Diaz. Um, I've put these two players together because they both cover you know, the fantastic City fixtures, and City have looked tight at the back recently. You know, they got the most clean sheets last year, and even last year they were conceding a lot of goals. And I, I think there's there's a, an argument to say that Pep has tried to make them less leaky this season. You know, they've brought in Diaz, who's done excellently, and him and, and, and Laporte have created uh, quite a good bond at the back there. So these two players look out, you know, stand out to me. I'm not really that interested in Walker just because of his price. Um, but if you have the money and you want you want to go for him, then I, I guess there's no there's no reason not to. I just feel that for price, he's perhaps not as, as worth it. Same with Laporte, really. So I'm definitely looking at these two. Now, Cancelo, for me, is the high-risk, high-reward pick. So statistically, he is the most creative defender in the league at the moment, not in terms of the assists that he's actually got, but in terms of his kind of potential assists, expected assists, and that kind of thing. And he's, for me, flaunting a 15-point haul uh, you know, any any time um, because because of the fact that he could get a clean sheet and he could get a goal or an assist or whatever. So he is someone who's firmly on my watch list, but I'm not sure if he's worth the potential rotation risk. We obviously know that Mendy is going to be returning soon. Zinchenko obviously isn't just going to get no game time between now and, and you know now and the end of Christmas or the back end of Christmas. So is Cancelo going to firmly? consolidate himself as the number one left back choice he might and I hope he does if I do go for him because I'm going to want a player that's playing um, week in week out but in recent seasons we've known that um, that Pep does like to rotate his uh, his right backs and left backs quite regularly um, and with Walker having an excellent season as well I do I know that he gave away that uh, you know quite a few mistakes against um, Liverpool when they played but he has been you know, pretty assured in that in that back line for for a long time. I'm not sure that Cancelo will move over to the right hand side if Mendy does come in, and and take take Walker's spot. So that is quite an interesting thing to think about. Also, I think Cancelo will be preferred in the tougher fixtures. That's also another worry of mine. So, um, you know, when when they're playing in the Champions League or when they're playing someone like Manchester United, um, who in my opinion, is still a very tough fixture, despite what some people think. I think Cancelo will be preferred because he'll want to go for his kind of tightest back four. Um, but in the kind of weaker fixtures, the likes of Burnley, the likes of West Brom, the likes of Fulham, where I'll definitely be playing him and want him to score big, my worry is that perhaps he might play Mendy or Zinchenko, who's left-footed, in order to stretch the pitch. Because at the moment, he's got Sterling on the left, who cuts inside, and Cancelo on the left, who cuts inside. And when you're playing against a deep block, such as Burnley, sometimes it's good to stretch the pitch as much as you can. So my feeling is that perhaps Mendy or Zinchenko might start in those games, which is why I'm definitely not making a move this week. I'm going to be waiting to see how um, how he lines up against Spurs, and then probably I will wait next week as well. I might, be, I might take a bit of a punt, who knows, but I'll probably wait to see how he lines up against Burnley as well. Um, to see if Cancelo's picked. If Cancelo is picked, then I'll probably take him for the you know for the long run. And then Diaz, for me, he should play every single game week. There's no kind of question about that. I think he and Laporte are their strongest centre backs, and you know, failing injury, he'll he'll start every game. But he has little to no attacking threat, um, and I've only 
you know, got one route to points there if I pick him up, which is clean sheets. And in that case, I kind of feel, you know, is it worth going for someone like Diaz when you could go for someone like Cody, who again is kind of one of those straight routes to or one one route players in terms of just getting clean sheets. So yeah, plan is to bide my time, monitor both of them over game week nine and ten and kind of see who's more appealing. At the moment I kind of I'm kind of leaning towards Cancelo um, just because I feel that he's worth that punt. And obviously there's always that option that he doesn't come on off the bench, gets a zero pointer and one of my you know one of my defenders comes on anyway. So that's where I'm leaning, but it's certainly not um it's certainly not a done deal. Next two players on my watch list, Patrick Bamford and Mikel Antonio. Now, Bamford is top for non-penalty expected goals this season by a long way, um, which is mental, really. Um, and, and Leeds obviously look incredible in attack. We saw them at the start of the season as a potential defensive option in terms of FPL. But really, as, an, as a Dallas owner, I've not been that impressed with them defensively. You know, if you're conceding four goals to Crystal Palace, you know there are some issues there. So... Um, I'm kind of put off by their fixtures at the moment, but they do pick up in game week 12, I believe, and go on a quite quite a nice little run. So Bamford's on the watch list for then. Hopefully he won't rise in price too much anymore. Um, I think the max the max he'll kind of go to is probably 6.5 by that point, and in which case he's still very, very affordable. Um, and Antonio confirmed on Twitter today that he's back in training. And for anyone who's been listening to the podcast since game week one, I've been eager to get Antonio in uh, for a very, very long time now. And obviously he's had these injury problems and he's had tough fixtures and that kind of thing. But he is a stat stuffer um, and he's playing for a side that's kind of in a groove right now. So I'm, I'm going to have a little look and see how Antonio does. I don't actually think he's going to play this weekend, but you know, if in the next couple of weeks he, he gets a look in, then I will be watching those games closely. Um, again, I'll see which one catches my eye over the next few weeks. At the moment, I'm leaning towards Bamford, but who knows, you know, Antonio can get four goals in a game, so um, I'm certainly not going to count him out. Finally, I've got two forwards on my watch list at the moment, uh, being Jamie Vardy and Timo Werner, who I briefly mentioned earlier as a possible captain option this week. Um, so unless I move Kane down to a mid-price attacker, which... I think we'll probably talk about this quite a lot next week um, in terms of my medium-term plan, but that's something I'm considering. I've kind of got two routes in my head here. Um, but unless I do that, these two are probably going to be the ones most likely to replace Kane in the coming weeks. Um, so I'm going to obviously watch them closely this weekend. Um, Vardy somehow bangs out the points regardless of his below star, below par sorry, statistics. You know, his non-penalty XG is significantly below his output, um, which, which puts me off slightly, but then you know he will keep it up, hopefully, for Fulham and Sheffield United, I would have thought. Um, and then Werner's fixtures are worse, or you know they're still average, but they're worse. Uh, and if Chelsea really turn on the style, then his potential hauls are immense and probably more than Vardy. So I do feel that Vardy is the safer pick. Um, Werner's perhaps the more explosive. Um, and I think with Ziyech in my side, I'm probably going to stay clear of the double up with Chelsea particularly because of their fixtures um, but I do think he's I do think Werner's a fantastic differential option um, this week so you could go there if you don't have a kind of Mane or a Manchester United player um, but anyway they're, they're, they're on my watch list I'm going to be thinking about how to get them in um, well not how to get them in they would be for Kane but whether it's worth getting them in or getting a mid-priced attacker and pumping more money into midfield so finally, onto my transfer plans this week. And although I haven't done it quite yet, I'm pretty certain on what I'm going to be doing. And that is Salah and Son to De Bruyne and Fernandez for two free transfers. And I'm going to do this before tomorrow morning 
mainly because it seems like Bruno is going to rise in price overnight. Um, the main reason I've done this uh, is because Bruno is going to be my captain for this week. Um, I'm not actually the biggest fan of Fernandez. I, mean, I was last season, obviously, when I had him in. But for 10.56 million, he he does always seem too expensive for me. But he turns it around all the time. I think he's averaging like six points in every game he's played in the Premier League so far. So that is ridiculous. And if I'm unsure, you know, he's he's a great he's a great option. And he's obviously got the best fixture without a doubt this week with with West Brom. Um, you know, they're not as bad as people make out, sure, but. Man United should have the better of the better of them, and particularly if they continue with that kind of base double pivot of Fred and McTominay midfield, that should allow Fernandez to advance further forward, which is, you know, what why he did brilliantly against Everton. So, Rashford did tempt me. I am tempted to go for Rashford, but I feel that because I have the money for Bruno, he's just worth it. You know, he's far more consistent. He gets those points even when Manchester United have a bad day. He's got penalties, so I just think it's the far safer play. Um, but if you do have, if you already own Rashford or you fancy a bit of a differential, then he's probably um, not, not a bad option as well. Um, I don't necessarily think Manchester United have amazing fixtures after game week nine, though. Um, and West Ham and Southampton, or the other way around, I think Southampton and West Ham, are pretty good defensively on the whole. But I'm seeing this as a kind of, three-week trial for Fernandez. Um, I can assess how he does and either use him to get Salah back if if you know he's unconvincing or doesn't kind of doesn't kind of reach the heights I'm hoping he will or if he does do really well then I can keep him in the medium term and find another plan to get Salah back which I've already considered um because Manchester United have got quite a nice fixture run after game week 13 so um again I spoke about it last time didn't I before the international break about the the advantages of planning. I think also it's important to plan several different options, you know, dependent on events. Um, you know, there's lots of things that could happen in the next couple of game weeks. So um, it's always good to be flexible with those plans and, and consider lots of different avenues, which I'll pro- will probably be the main part of my podcast next week. Um, and De Bruyne, nice and simply, he's been on my radar for a long, long time now, or at least a couple of, you know, three or four game weeks. And I've gone without City, which doesn't feel right. Um, I've got away with it, fortunately, um, not owning a City player. But I think moving forward now with their phenomenal fixtures, um, it's just really important to have have them in. Now, one could argue that City don't look on it this season. They, you know, they've Pep Guardiola's not got them clicking quite as well. They don't look like a team who's going to burn five past past someone. But on the flip side. We know they've got the potential to do that. The only thing that's changed within their team is David Silva, who I appreciate is a big miss creatively. But they've still got a wealth of talent, and they haven't had the easiest fixtures necessarily, have they? You know, they've they've still had they've had Burnley, and so they they've got Burnley, Fulham, and West Brom coming up, which are amazing fixtures, and they've had um, some rather tricky fixtures um, before this. So I think that he's definitely worth worth the pun. If you're part of the camp who thinks, look. Manchester City aren't the same this season. They're not particularly good. I'm going to stay clear. Then that's your prerogative. But for me, I'm looking at not only getting De Bruyne in, but possibly even doubling up on City midfielders um, by like game week 13. So um, that was a nice, easy move for me. The reason why I'm doing it this week is because I just feel he offers more than Son um, in that kind of 
City Spurs fixture. I think De Bruyne plays really well against big teams as well as he does against um, against smaller teams. And also, if I do these two transfers this week, then it just kind of clears my head for next week. I've kind of rolled two transfers for a long time now, and I kind of want to get back to that stage where I'm I'm, I'm kind of back to base, if that makes sense. So um, so that's why I've done it this week. And for those who go for Sterling, um, which you know some of you will be. I think that's actually a really nice move. Uh, I don't want you to be put off by it just because I'm going for De Bruyne. Um, I just personally prefer KDB for his consistency. Um, Sterling, for me, sometimes goes vacant in games when he you know, operates as a false nine or he doesn't have Jesus, uh, Jesus feeding him. Um, but I have to admit he's probably the most explosive option in the City team, apart from possibly uh, a certain Sergio Aguero, who hopefully will be back soon. Um, so I can see why some are looking at him, but... Um, but yeah, for me, it's just it's just De Bruyne. He's hopefully still on penalties despite the miss last time. Um, he's very consistent regardless of who he's playing. And really, with De, with David Silva having gone, I think De Bruyne has been given the the main responsibility for creating chances. So um, so I feel he's going to be central to everything that City do, and that's why I think he's probably the best City asset at the moment. So to finish off the pod, this is my team for tomorrow. Um, Martinez at home to Brighton, Chilwell away to Newcastle, Robertson at home to Leicester and Masuaku away to Sheffield United, obviously completing my back three. In midfield, I've gone for Bruno at home to West Brom as my captain. Obviously, I've still not brought him in, but that's the plan. Grealish at home to Brighton. De Bruyne away at Spurs, again, still not brought in, but that's the plan this this evening anyway. And Ziyech away to Newcastle. And then up front, Kane at home to Man City. Calvert-Lewin away to Fulham, and he's going to be my vice-captain this week. Some people have been saying they're going to be captaining Calvert-Lewin or, and Grealish this week as the two kind of um, sub-8 million captaincy shouts. I don't mind it. I think it's certainly it's you know it's it's a it's a cogent strategy. But for me, the reason these players are so much more expensive than you know the likes of Salah, Bruno, De Bruyne is because they're just more consistent. And I think that if you've got the option to go for one of them, um, that's probably better. The the thing with Grealish um, is I actually wrote an article um, previewing the Brighton um, Aston Villa game, and I just feel that Brighton are due a clean sheet. Well, they had one. They had one last time, but they're due a kind of one nil win. I don't think they'll necessarily get it against Aston Villa, but Ben White has been operating midfield recently, and I think he'll be tasked with tracking back and and kind of stopping Grealish. And look, Grealish at this stage can't be stopped. Um, but I just feel that you know Brighton's numbers—they're the top in the entire league for few you know for fewest shots in the box, um, which is mental really. So. Um, I think I think personally, stay away from Grealish. Have him as your kind of um, your your midfielder who can um, just pick up points. If you know, and, and let's be honest, if you didn't captain him and he still got you fifteen pointer, you'd still be really happy with that. I feel um, you wouldn't be. Oh, I wish I captained him, or at least I certainly wouldn't be. So um, that's why I've gone for Calvert Lewin as my vice captain this week. Um, I just feel that Calvert Lewin can do really well against the lesser teams. Um, we saw that against West Brom early in the season when he got his hat-trick. Um, Rodriguez and Richarlison are back-partnering him for the first time in a while. Um, and Everton kind of have their full-strength team apart from possibly Allen. Um, so I feel Calvert-Lewin is a nice, little, a nice shout there. And then finally, in my team, Watkins is at home to Brighton as well. So my bench reads Lamptey first sub, Dallas second sub and Basuma third sub. That is as it stands. I'm kind of tempted to put Basuma as second and Dallas as third, but 
Um, to be honest, the likelihood of me getting all the way down there is very, very slim. So, um, so Lamp D is my kind of the ace up my sleeve. If if anything goes wrong, he can come on and hopefully do pretty well. Um, quickly as well, the reason why I'm not playing Lamp D from the off and playing Matuaku instead is that I've obviously got two Aston Villa attackers, and whilst I'm not I'm not passionate about necessarily trying to avoid playing your attackers against your defenders and all that sort of stuff. It just doesn't make sense in this in this case. I don't think, really, that Brighton against Aston Villa or Lamptey against Aston Villa is any better than Masuaku against Sheffield United. So um, that's an easy easy decision for me. And that's kind of the uh, the the plan as, uh, moving into this game week. And that's it for the podcast, guys. Thank you for listening. And if you haven't already, please go follow Back for FPL on Twitter and Instagram so that you're alerted to all of my new content. Uh, and then while you're there, also head to www.back-4.com for just general footy articles and podcasts that um, that I, I put out. As I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, early in this podcast, there is a podcast that came out during the international break on Back for More. Um, with with England things so if you haven't had a chance to listen to that yet I suggest you do best of luck for the game week and I'll catch you next time